begin this evening, and we are in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And we are in the uh, Beatitudes here on the Sermon on the Mount, which we will conclude tonight. So Matthew chapter 5, and we'll begin reading in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 16 this evening. So Matthew chapter 5 and verse 1 says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we ask tonight that you would uh, help us, Lord, as we seek to understand and to know your will, Lord, that we would do those things that are pleasing to you, Lord, especially that you would help us to be uh, salt and light in this present world, even though we know, uh, according to your word, that all who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution, but Lord, may we see that there is blessing in suffering and in hardship, Lord, and in persecution. Uh, because we will inherit your kingdom. So, Lord, help us to be uh, faithful and true to you, Lord, even if it means uh, that we might suffer for the sake of righteousness. And, Lord, grant to us perseverance, uh, the endurance that we need, Lord, so that we might uh, persevere and enter into the kingdom of God. And it is in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. All right, so we've been here in uh, Matthew chapter 5, looking at uh, the Beatitudes. And so far, uh, these blessings uh, are dealing with virtues, right, that should be true and should be evident in the life of Christians, right, in the life of believers, that we ought to be poor in spirit, we should be those who mourn over our sin, we should be meek in the way that we deal with others, right, we should hunger and thirst for righteousness sake, we ought to be merciful, pure in heart, and peacemakers, right, these are the, uh, the ones that we've covered so far, now, when we read these things, right, we might think that any person that is exhibiting these attributes, right, these virtues, that this type of a person, why would anyone hate them, right? Why would anyone want to persecute and kill, right? Why would they reject and loathe someone who's poor in spirit, right? Someone who thinks lowly of themselves concerning their own sin, someone who's mourning over sin, someone who's meek, right? Why would anyone hate someone who is meek and mild, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, right? What's so evil 
right, about that, that someone would want to persecute you. Merciful, right? Don't we, shouldn't we uh, love and promote mercy and being merciful people, pure in heart? Peacemakers, right? We typically, we think of these things. Why would anyone hate and despise another man for exhibiting these attributes? And up to this point, right, these are dealing with, right, spiritual realities, things that should be true of us in terms of, of our spiritual life before God, right? And yet, and also in these things, these can be true of us without us necessarily thinking that we're going to have hardships and sufferings in this life. But the last of these Beatitudes brings this reality uh, into focus that when we are living in this way, when we are being faithful to Christ, when we are obeying his will, we are going to suffer persecution, that there will be those who hate us because of our faith in Christ and because of our obedience to his will and to do those things that are pleasing to him. Now, this isn't always going to be the case, and it won't be universally true that all men will hate us or that all men will persecute us, but there will be some level of persecution toward believers in this life, that it is a reality of the Christian life. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7, right? It's not always the case that everyone will at all times persecute all Christians. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Right? When we are living a life pleasing to the Lord, right, our way is pleasing to God, that God will even make our enemies be at peace with us. Now, again, this can't mean universally. It can't mean that this is always going to be the case because of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Were the ways of Christ pleasing to the Lord? Well, of course they were. He always did the will of his Father. But were his enemies always at peace with him? No. No, we know that that wasn't the case. They killed him, and there were many other times that they tried to assassinate him. However, it will be true that there are even some, when we're living the Christian life, when we're being faithful to God, even unbelievers will sometimes respect us, they'll honor us, they'll say, you know, it's not for me, but I respect you, and I see the way that you live, I see that you're an honest man, right, and, and they won't have this hatred for us necessarily. However, we know that there always still is going to be suffering and persecution and rejection, right? And even there, it is calling these people enemies. That They still are enemies. They may not be trying to kill you or put you to death, but they still reject you in the sense that they don't want what you've got, right? And they're not going to be like you. They're not going to believe like you. They're not going to live the way that you do. They might leave you alone for the most part, but they still, there is a level of rejection there. However, there will also be those who are hostile, right? Who are hostile toward the Christian faith and toward believers. And when this happens, right? When persecution comes, we cannot think that we're doing something wrong, that we're being unfaithful to God, that God has rejected us. God doesn't love us, right? If God loved me, then why am I suffering the way that I'm suffering? No, we have to see it in its right and proper place that this is a part of the Christian life that we must embrace and it will be a part of our life as well if we are faithful to Christ. Okay, so that's what we're going to pick up tonight is verses 
10, let's read verses 10 through 12 again. It says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Here he says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Here the persecution is not because we're doing evil, not because we're defrauding people, not because we are mistreating people, but rather it's because we're living a righteous life. And there will be persecutions for those who live a righteous life. But here, though the persecution is not easy to endure, right? It's hard. It's a hardship. It's a fiery trial. And the very nature of a fiery trial means that it's not a bed of roses, right? It's not something that's easy to endure. It's actually very difficult to endure. But one of the reasons we are able to endure persecution and suffering is because of the blessing that Christ pronounces upon those who endure the harsh trial, who endure the persecution. And the blessing is that we will inherit the kingdom of heaven. We will go to heaven or we will enter into the kingdom of God if we are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, because we are proving through our suffering and our endurance of that suffering that we are like righteous Job. We have the steadfastness of Job in that we are not serving God for material, earthly, worldly pleasures and comforts. But we're serving God for heavenly rewards, right? For those types of things. When we endure hardships and sufferings and persecutions for the sake of Christ, we are proving without a doubt that we have true faith because how can someone endure that with false faith, right? right? If their faith is false, then their mind is not set on heavenly things. They don't have before their eyes the kingdom of God, right? They're only living for this present world, but persecution makes this present life very difficult and hard. So how can they do that without true faith, right? Without faith in those heavenly realities. So there is the blessing for those who are persecuted. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then in verse 11 and 12, he expands on this. What are these kinds of persecutions that we are going to face. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Here, per, the persecution can, fa can come in many different ways. It can, in the greatest, most severe form, end in death or martyrdom, such as was the case with Stephen, who was a martyr. He was put to death because of his faith in Christ. It can also rise to the level of physical abuse, where people beat a Christian, they stone them, they leave them from de for dead, where they do these types of things, such as what happened with the Apostle Paul. But the most common form of persecution that believers will face is verbal, right? It's verbal is what people say against you because of your faith in Christ. They're going to revile you, meaning they're going to say reviling things about you. They're going to utter all sorts of horrible, nasty things about you, right? Again, not because you're a jerk, right? Not because you're picking a fight with them, right? Not because you slug them in the face, but because you're living a godly life, right? And you don't want to be around their sin. So they're going to revile you and persecute you. 
and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. They're going to say false things about you. They're going to accuse you of being an evildoer. Though they are the evildoers, right, and their life manifests that in the way that they live, but they're going to accuse you of being an evildoer. You're just a big hypocrite, right? This is what they'll say. They'll accuse you of being a hypocrite, though they themselves are profane people. They'll claim that God is on their side. They'll claim that God loves them and that you, God, is against you because of the way that you're living. This is what they will say. And this is what they did, for example, to Jesus Christ. They accused him of blasphemy. They did this to the Apostle Paul. They accused him of blaspheming God when they were the blasphemers of God, right? So they're saying things about the believer that are not true. They're uttering evil against them falsely, right? They're liars, just like their father, the devil, and they're accusing the believer who's living a godly life of living a very profane, evil, wicked life. And it's not enough that they say that to you, but they also want to tell other people as well. They're gossips and slanderers who will spread this and try to ruin our reputation, even in the eyes of others. Now, when this happens, it's not fun. It's not enjoyable, right? Who wants to have someone utter false things about them? Who wants someone reviling them? Nobody wants that, right? We don't seek that out. We don't desire for people to say these kinds of things about us. And when it happens, it's not enjoyable, right? It's very difficult for people to do this. It hurts. It's painful. However, He says here in verse 12, rejoice, rejoice and be glad. Now rejoice and be glad for what reason? Because it's fun to have people say horrible things about you? No, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. You're going to have a great reward in heaven. And so rejoice, even though it's hard now, it's okay. Rejoice in that because you know, ultimately one day you're going to have your reward in heaven. And also, these revilers, if they don't repent, they're going to have to come bow down at our feet, and they will have to confess that God loved us. They're going to have to confess, God will make them do this on the day of judgment, that we belong to God, and that they were liars, and that they slandered us, that they misrepresented us, and that they are the evildoers, and we were not. So God will make our enemies come bow at our feet who do these kinds of things. This is why the Bible teaches us, for example, in Romans chapter 12, that we are to repay no one evil for evil, but we are to do what is honorable in the sight of all. We're to do good to men and not evil, and we're not to seek vengeance on our own. We're not to go out and get vengeance against these people. So they slander us, but we don't slander them in return. Now, that doesn't mean we don't speak truthfully about them. It doesn't mean if they're lying about us, I can't call that guy a liar. He is a liar. He is a slander. He is a gossip, right? He is a vile person. So we shouldn't lie about the person and say they're wonderful people. They're not wonderful. They're horrible people. So it's okay to speak truthfully about those people, but I'm not going around as a malicious witness saying false things about them, spreading rumors and lies about them and doing these things. They speak evil against me. If it's in my presence, it's fine for me to defend myself, to say that, no, this is not true. If they spread that to other people, it's fine for me to explain the situation to others and to defend ourselves and say that, no, this is not the case. But ultimately, we trust that in the end, God will grant to us vengeance. We don't have to seek it on our own. 
Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? I will repay, says the Lord. So we don't seek vengeance on our own. We trust that God will make everything right in the end. In the end, he will make it all right. And even with many of these malicious witnesses who do these types of things, even many other people, even many other unbelievers will be able to see through their lies. And they'll know this is not true. This isn't true. This guy's a liar. It, our character, in contrast to their lies, will be obvious, right? So just live a godly life. Move on. Right? Don't let it get you down. Right? Don't let it beat you to pieces. Trust yourself to God and continue doing the will of God. Rejoice and be glad because your reward in heaven is great. Also, rejoice and be glad for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You stand in good company. Isn't it good to stand in good company? Right. Whenever there's someone who's behaving the way we are or who believes or has the same convictions that we have, and it's someone who's well-respected, right? someone who is trustworthy, and we're able to say, well, you know, I believe the same way as this guy, right? Or I have the same convictions that he has, right? We want to be in the company of good men, right? Of noble men, of righteous men. Well, who do we stand with when we're persecuted for the sake of righteousness? The holy prophets of God. Isn't that good company to keep? To be treated the same way that they were treated. So that's not something to be ashamed of. That's not something to run away from. It's a badge of honor. Right? To be associated and to stand in the company of such good godly men as the holy prophets of God, the holy apostles of Christ, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All of them suffered persecution. So when we suffer for the sake of the name of Christ, then we're simply standing in a long line in a tradition of righteous men and women who have suffered the same fate for their faith in Christ, and many of them suffered far more extreme persecutions than what any of us have ever suffered. For example, the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul suffered more in his pinky finger than probably all of us combined put together. Right? He had very great, intense, harsh sufferings, persecutions from men. Most of us, the worst we've ever experienced is verbal abuse, right? But we've never been beaten. No one's ever punched us. No one's ever tried to kill us because of our faith in Christ. But there are people who will reject us. They'll walk away from us. We will lose friendships. They'll say evil things about us, but they're not trying to kill us. Well, that's what they did to the Apostle Paul. But what about Jeremiah? How many of us have ever been thrown into a pit, right? In a muddy pit and left there for dead. Well, that happened to Jeremiah. How many of us have ever been kidnapped and taken into a foreign land by unbelieving, evil-doing people? But that happened to Jeremiah. What about righteous David? Has anyone ever tried to pin you against a wall with a spear? Has anyone ever chased you around the mountain trying to kill you? But that happened to David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. All of these things happened to them. And then our Lord Jesus Christ. No one's ever tried to throw me over a cliff. No one's ever picked up stones to stone me and no one's ever hung me on a cross. Yet all of that happened to Jesus Christ. So our sufferings are not as severe as theirs. They may be one day. And if they are, then we have to act like men and women, be faithful to God and do the will of God and not back down. But when we suffer 
for the sake of Christ, we are standing in a long line, in a history, a tradition of righteous men and women, both from the Bible and then also from church history as well. So there's nothing to be ashamed of, but rather there's much reason for us to rejoice. This is why there is a blessing for persecution, which again, seems so contradictory, so contrary, right? These two things seem opposite. How can a persecuted person be blessed? And it is because of the eternal rewards that await those who believe in Christ and who prove their faith through their endurance, through their endurance, and they enter into the kingdom of God. It is through many tribulations that we must enter into the kingdom of God, Acts chapter 14. Okay, a couple of passages. First, James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Okay, James 5 verse 10 says, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So there, Consider the prophets, right? The prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. They are an example of suffering and patience. And we need to be like them. And then one specifically is Job. We all know what happened to Job. And we know of his steadfastness. We know that he did not abandon the faith. He did not give up. He did not curse God and die as his wife encouraged him to do. But rather he remained faithful to the Lord. And so we must be faithful as well. First Peter chapter three. First Peter chapter three, verse 13. First Peter three thirteen. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Right. Generally speaking, Rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Generally speaking, in society, if we're doing what's good, going to work, working hard, raising our families, living godly lives, right, doing those types of things, we're not out pillaging, looting, we're not pilfering people, we're not doing those kinds of things. Well, typically, who's going to harm you if you're doing what's good? No one's going to harm you. People are going to leave you alone and let you live a simple, quiet, peaceful life. But... Even if you should suffer for righteousness, righteousness sake, you will be blessed. So even if suffering does come, then you're going to be blessed. That's okay. Have no fear of them nor be troubled. Right? Why should we have no fear of them or be troubled by them? What's the worst thing a man can do to you? He can kill our bodies. But to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Right? Don't fear those who kill the body, but afterwards have nothing more they can do. I will tell you the one that you should fear. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. That's the one that we should fear. Not man. Don't fear man. Don't be troubled by men. All they can do is kill our body, but they can't kill or touch our immortal soul. But God can. 
So fear God, do his will. And even if you suffer, that's okay. Don't be afraid. Now, again, he doesn't mean that in the moment of suffering and persecution that we're just going to be easy breezy, joking about, laughing, you know, like it's not going to be. It's going to be hard to endure. Even Christ, right, in the garden was praying fervently, sweating great drops of blood. Now, again, his sufferings are more and included more than the sufferings that a Christian will ever face because he suffered for the full wrath of God, right? But even for true, even believers who are not suffering in that way, even they are going to have trepidation. There's going to be fear, but God will give us the strength to overcome our fear, right? To overcome it so that we can do the will of God. Verse 15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So, set Christ apart in your heart, desire to honor him, always be prepared, because when the persecution comes at this level, you're going to suffer because of your faith in Christ. So you're going to have to give a defense of your faith in Christ. We have the example of the Apostle Paul. When he was drugged before the authorities, he always had a biblical explanation, a defense for who he was, what he believed, what he was teaching, what he was doing, in such a way that he silenced even his critics. They could not say anything against him, right? But they had to bring up false charges, false witnesses against him. Also, we think of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Stephen gave a defense for what he believed and why he was teaching the way that he was teaching and doing the things that he was doing. So that's how we should be. If they ask for a reason for the hope that is in you, why are you a Christian? Why won't you deny your faith? Then you tell them why. But do it in what way? With gentleness and respect, right? They're railing and ranting against you, but you don't rant and rave against them, right? Do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. Don't be blaspheming them. Don't be uh, saying, cursing them. They're cursing you. You don't curse back. Do it with gentleness. Do it with respect. Speak the truth. Right? Say what needs to be said, but don't do it in a disrespectful, in an evil way. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Right? right? They're reviling you, but they're going to be put to shame because it's going to be obvious to everyone that they're liars. Right? Everyone's going to say that these people are nuts. There's no basis for this. This is as it was with, again, the Apostle Paul amongst the Romans. They all knew that he he had not done anything worthy of death. They knew that the Jews were slandering him, and that's why they didn't let them put him to death. They didn't let them assassinate him the way that they wanted to do, because it was obvious that they had ill motives, and the Apostle Paul was an innocent man. Then he says, lastly, it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Right? If it's God's will to suffer for doing good, right, that's better than avoiding suffering by doing evil. 
If avoiding suffering means denying Christ, then it's better to suffer for doing good because it's good to confess Christ. But it's evil to deny Christ. So if escaping the suffering means sinning against God, then it's better to suffer for doing good than to escape the suffering by doing evil. Now, we'll get to that in a second. If it's possible, we should avoid suffering. If we can avoid persecution, then avoid it, but only through lawful means, only through means that are not sinful. It's sinful to avoid suffering by denying Christ. It's not sinful to avoid suffering by running for your life, right? By uh, climbing out of a wall, uh, of a window, being let down in a basket, right? By hiding yourself so that they can't find you, by going to the next town. That's not evil, right? By appealing to the authorities, right? So that they come and rescue you and defend you as the Apostle Paul did. That's not evil, right? That's good. We ought to do that, right? It actually would be evil for us to suffer needlessly because we failed to use the means that God gave to us to escape the suffering because then we're committing self-murder, right? We're killing ourselves for no reason when we can escape. So we ought to avoid suffering if possible, but when it's not possible to avoid it through non-sinful means, then we just take it because it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Okay, John chapter 15. John 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that was written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. So here we should not be surprised if the world hates us because they already hated Christ. They hated Christ, they will hate us. He is the head, we are the body. It's not fitting that the head should suffer and the body be unscathed. If they did this to the head, then it's necessary for us to fill up in our bodies the sufferings of Christ, that this is what will happen to his body. We don't belong to the world. This is why the world hates us, because we don't belong to them. And a servant is not greater than his master, right? The master is greater than the servant. Well, if they do this to the master of the house, then what are they going to do to his servants? Typically, the servants receive more cruel, harsh treatment than the master, right? The slaves of the master are more abused than the master himself. But if they did this to the master, then what are they going to do to the slaves? Now, in our case, because of the kindness of God, 
what they did to the master is more extreme than what they will typically do to us, right? Because many of us could not endure the types of sufferings that Christ endured, right? Even many of us could not endure the kinds of sufferings that the Apostle Paul endured. And Jesus even said that had those days not been cut short, many would have fallen away. He cuts the day short, the day of suffering, right, for the sake of the elect, because many are not able to endure those things. So he knows what we can handle. He knows what our faith can take. And then he will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear, right, beyond those things. Okay, also, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Second Timothy 3.12 Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So there, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Right. So not some, but he says all. All who desire to live the godly life will be persecuted. Okay, Matthew chapter 10. And we're spending a lot of time on these passages concerning persecution and suffering because many times we believe that because we live in a so-called Christian nation, although that's becoming less and less uh, the case, but at least uh, for some time, Christianity was the favored or the dominant religion uh, within America that, well, these things won't be true of us. We're not going to suffer, um, but that'll happen over in Muslim countries or Hindu, Buddhist countries, atheist countries. But it won't happen here because everyone here loves Christ and we're all good Christian people. But that's not the case at all. And even here, our Lord Jesus Christ, he's not in Rome. Right? He's not in a Muslim country. Islam didn't exist at that time. But he's not there. It existed in the mind of Satan, but not practically in the world yet. He's not in those places, okay? He's in what would be the equivalent of a Christian nation, right? He's in the land of Israel, the people who have the Bible and the word of God. So just because we are surrounded by Christian people and Christian churches doesn't mean that we won't suffer persecution from these good Christian people. Because they can actually, some of them can turn quite nasty. Yes, they can. Yes, they can. Okay, Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. So there... He's warning us. He's warning them to beware of men. Be on your guard. Don't be naive. Don't be gullible. Don't trust men, right? So he's telling them to exercise caution, right? Be aware of what's going on and what kind of people these are so that you don't get deceived and you don't get duped into dying or suffering needlessly, right? When they invite you to a special meeting, don't go. Right, stay away from them. 
Okay, you'll be, uh, then verse 19. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speaks, but the, the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and the children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they malign those of his household? So there, even brother against brother, father against child, children against parents, even to the point of what? Death. They'll even put them to death. Even these family ties, which typically are bonds of unity, right, and of love and harmony, even these will be fractured and upset because of Christ. So the persecution will even arise within our own families. But what do we have to do? Endure. Right? Endure. The one who endures will be saved. If we shrink back, he'll have no pleasure in us. So we have to endure and overcome these things. And then the disciple not above his teacher. Right? The servant not above his master. If they did this to the master of the house, they called him Beelzebub, prince of demons, then what are they going to say about you? that you're one of his demons as well. Also notice that he did say, if they persecute you in one town, what are you supposed to do? You flee to the next. So there's no fear and no shame in running, right? Running away from someone who wants to chop your head off. Get away from them, right? If you know they're coming to your house to burn it down and kill you and your family, get out of the house, right? Run away. If you have a gun, Use your gun, right? Protect yourself, right? There's nothing against doing those types of things. We ought to use whatever means given to us by God to protect ourselves, to protect our families. But when it becomes unavoidable, then commit your life to God, trust him, give a defense, do it with gentleness, do it with respect, and have no fear and do not be troubled, but know that your reward is great in heaven and actually rejoice that you have been counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, this is how the apostles responded to their suffering. Acts chapter 5, verse 40 says, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. So there they gave them a good beating. But after the beating, the apostles were rejoicing. Isn't that what Jesus says to do in Matthew chapter 5? Rejoice and be glad. Here they're rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. They don't see this as something 
to be ashamed of. They see this as their glory, as an honor, that they were counted worthy by Christ to suffer for his name. So they see it as a special honor that Christ has conferred upon them that he does not confer upon all men, right? To be beaten for the sake, for the sake of Christ. Okay, also Romans chapter 5. Why else should we uh, rejoice in our sufferings? Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. So there, we rejoice in our sufferings because of what it produces. Right? This is, as it says in Hebrews, that no discipline is pleasant in the moment. But afterwards, it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained, just as it is when we're children. right? And our parents discipline us as seem best to them. Well, it's not pleasant when you're the child and you're receiving the rod from your parents, but when you grow up and you're not a criminal and you're not a uh, horrible citizen, but you're a respectful person who knows how to live because you were trained by your parents how to honor proper authority and respect, right? Well, then that's good. And so now we're glad that we received the rod when we were children, such as myself. I had to receive it many times. And I used to say, I'll never spank my my children when I get older. But then I got children and I said, why should I suffer and them not? No, I'm just kidding. I said, no, this kid needs it, right? You got to do it because otherwise you're going to have brats. Who wants brats running around? No one wants that. Who wants mouthy teenagers running around the house? No one wants that. Yet who wants adults who are menaces to society? No one. Well, where does that all begin? It all begins in childhood. In infancy, when the parents will never say no to their children because they don't want to break their little spirit. Well, you better break their spirit because if you don't, there will be a spirit of a demon within them, right? And they will be causing problems for everyone the rest of their life. Okay, well, it doesn't feel pleasant in the moment, but it produces a good fruit later. And so it is also with suffering, not just in terms of eternal realities, but also in terms of spiritual blessedness in this life. Because the suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces hope, right? And hope doesn't put us to shame. It gives us that hope. Well, we want that hope. Well, it comes through the endurance of suffering. Also, James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 and verse 2. James 1 verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, full effect 
that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So there, count it joy when you meet trials of various kinds, right? Various kinds of trials, not just persecution from evil men. That is one kind of trial, but there are other trials as well, such as what Job experienced, loss of property, loss of children, loss of health, right? All those things came upon him. And then persecution is one of them as well. Well, count it joy because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, endurance. It means that you, you're not weak and shaken, tossed to and fro by all these various things that happen to you. And it makes you perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Right? The discipline is necessary. It's necessary for God to try our faith, to stretch our faith, to test us, to grow our faith. Right? This is how it gets stronger and stronger is whenever it is tried through sufferings, through the sufferings. So rejoice and be glad when you suffer. And then this also is what happened to the prophets of old. Right, We can think of many examples of righteous men and women suffering in the Bible, such as righteous Abel, such as Joseph, who was betrayed by his own brothers. Moses suffered great persecutions through his life. David suffered great persecutions. Daniel suffered persecutions. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego suffered persecutions. Mordecai suffered persecutions. John the Baptist was imprisoned and his head was chopped off. Stephen was stoned to death. The Apostle Paul, they all through Acts, they tried to kill him at every corner at every turn, and then ultimately he was put to death. The apostle Peter suffered and was ultimately put to death. So all of these suffered great sufferings in this life, yet they endured, and they are the example set before us, and we need to follow their example, and ultimately the example of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we might ask, why is this going to be the reality, right? Why will sufferings and persecutions, right, if we're doing good, right, if we're simply wanting to live a quiet, peaceful life, raise our families, right, go to work, right, do our job well, come home, mow our yard, keep everything clean, looking nice, right, uh, love our family, right, be good citizens, pay our taxes, right, we're doing all these things. Why would anyone hate us for these things? Well, Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, they will hate us because they ultimately hate Christ. Luke 12, 49. I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it were already kindled. Right? Christ came to burn the earth with fire. That's what he's saying here. Ultimately, that's what he's going to do. He's right now wishing it was already happening. I wish I would that it was already happening right now, but it's not happening now because I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Before he can burn the world with fire, he must first himself undergo the fire of the baptism of his death and resurrection for the sake of the elect, right? For our sake, because if he doesn't die and rise again, then we can't be saved. And then we're going to be burned up with the world. So he has to undergo the baptism. But then after the baptism, one day he will return. And what will he do? 
He's going to cast fire on the earth. He's going to judge the world in righteousness. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on in one house, there will be five divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So he says, I did not come to give peace on the earth. Now, he doesn't mean that universally. He did come to give peace to some people, right? Peace between them and God, peace between believer and believer, but not peace between believers and all men, right? right? In terms of the world and the elect, there's going to be hostility. There's going to be division. And that division is going to manifest itself even within the home, even in the home where you, you expect there to be some level of civility, of harmony, of unity, of mutual love between a father and a son, right? right? Typically that's the case, a mother and a daughter, a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law. You expect that to be there, yet here there's going to be division because of Christ. One's a believer and the other's an unbeliever, right? That's why the division's going to happen. Now, of course, we don't want that to happen. What we would love is that father and son both be believer, that mother and daughter both be believer, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law both be believer, and that we ought to strive to attain that in our own homes. But it's not always going to be the case. And when it's not the case, there's going to be division. Division will arise because of Christ. Now, specifically, what is it about Christ that brings about division within the home and within the experience of the child of God? John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 19. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So this is the judgment. Light came into the world, but... Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They hate the light because they have evil deeds. Well, who is the light of the world? Jesus Christ. This is why they hated Christ. And then who are we? We are the light of the world as well. But through our faith in Christ, through Christ living within us, his Holy Spirit, we become light and men love evil deeds. And that light exposes their evil. The way we live, our godly lives, should be an affront to the wicked. And the way we speak, what we talk about, right? Our conversation, because we want to talk about the Bible and the things of God. And when we see that sin manifesting itself in our presence, we speak up. We have to speak up and say something about it. And when that happens, then there becomes hostility, even within the home, because men love they love the darkness rather than the light. Okay, one last passage here is Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, this is Luke's corresponding account of the Sermon on the Mount. 
And we have here, uh, Matthew is more positive than Luke because he only mentions the blessings, but Luke also mentions the woes. Okay, so Luke gives us the woes as well. Luke chapter 6, verse 24. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did the false prophets. So here, these, these things, which we would think are indicative of a blessed life, being rich, being full, laughing, having people say good things about you, right? We think, oh, that sounds great. We would all like to have that. But he says, no, right? Woe to you if those things are merely true of you, right? He's not saying that it's evil to be rich because Abraham was rich, but Abraham was blessed. But woe to you who are rich, but you're not rich towards God. You're not rich in faith because you've had your consolation now when you're a wicked rich man, right? right? And when you're full, there's nothing wrong with eating and being full. But if all we care about is a pot belly, right? Our, our, our mere appetites, well, then you're going to be hungry if you don't care about righteousness and you're not hungry and thirsting for it. Again, woe to you who laugh. Not that again, that there's not a proper time to laugh. There is a time for us to laugh. But if all we're doing is laughing and having a good time through life, and not weeping and mourning over our sin, then we're going to weep on the day of judgment when we get cast into the lake of fire, and there's not going to be no laughing down there. right? It's going to be misery and weeping. And then woe when all men speak well of you. Again, all men. right? When all men speak well of you, this is not an indication that this person is a righteous man or that this teacher is a good teacher. When everyone speaks well of them, this is what they did to the false prophets. Everyone spoke well of the false prophets. They loved the false prophets because they told them exactly what they wanted to hear. So when that's the case, right, and all of this is whenever people are not faithful to the Lord. Not faithful to the Lord. Okay, verse 13. Okay, good. Verse, uh, verse 13. What time did you say it was? Okay, we're going to stop there. We'll pick up on verse 13. Then way we can have some more time for any questions or comments. Right. I wanted to spend a lot of time on the persecutions because it's so counterintuitive. And it's something that's difficult for us to endure. Right. Even when we experience a mild form of persecution, it is very trying to our faith. Right. Very trying. And for many, it is... Uh, almost impossible for them to overcome, right? We have to have faith. We have to endure. We have to expect these things, right? If we're not expecting it, then how are we going to be ready? We have to dress for action. We have to be men and women who are prepared for these kinds of things. And we shouldn't be surprised or find it startling that people are going to hate us because of Christ. We just have to be ready for it, right? When it comes, you endure it. You do the best that you can with it. And then you have to continue doing the will of God and be faithful to the Lord, right? And don't let them drag you down, right? Don't let them steal and take your joy away. That's what they want to do, right? But we have to endure it and be faithful to the Lord.